Radio Live with your hosts, Jim and Sandy Young. Welcome, everyone. I am Reverend Sandy. And I am Reverend Jim. Welcome to Angel Talk Radio Live. Our show is sponsored by the Living Light Center at Church of Faith and Healing. For anyone interested, Jim and I do personal readings. And if you'd like to have a personal reading, you can call 304-567-3354 or email sandysangeltalk at aol.com. That's S-A-N-D-Y-S-A-N-G-E-L-T-A-L-K at aol.com. Welcome, everyone. We're glad to have you join us today. And today our show is going to be about the meaning of numbers in your life. But before we get started, I'm going to do a little prophecy from the angels. All right. So, greetings and welcome. You are all divine beings of light. And in the process of your expansion of consciousness, it awakens cellular memories held within the body. It is creating a stronger link between heaven and earth. So we are offered to be one, an opportunity to unite with spirit. Your soul begins to turn away from ego and face your higher spiritual self, acknowledging your purpose for being here. Your life takes on a greater purpose. And we focus our minds on where God would guide us to go. When we are focused on spirit, we become more loving and caring for others. We accept responsibility when it serves the Creator. We expand our awareness to include nature and its many purposes of teaching and mirroring the spirit world to us. We learn to trust and understand the unseen of spirit, and we grow to realize all life is important. We may struggle from illnesses, but we never blame God for our problems. We strive to become one with the light, where all things have order and purpose, where the unconditional love of God will fill your souls and wash away the darkness where we will feel peace in our hearts, where the light and sound of its many frequencies hold us in a perfect union with the all, and where each one of us have a specific purpose for existing, and it coincides with the whole of all. As we accept this light into our beingness, we acknowledge we are part of a bigger existence and one that has many levels of awareness. That just because third dimension limits our understanding of everything, we are never separate from God. We may try to separate from God at times, but we will eventually turn back to him. We are all here to share in our awareness and work our way back to spirit. For the divine beings of light wait for you to acknowledge and join them consciously. Blessings to you. Well, that's pretty powerful. <clears throat> you know, it's so funny because this is a subject that Sandy and I have both, you know, from time to time taught classes on or workshops on. Um, 
it's been a few years, I think, though, probably since we did the last workshop or class on it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's always been one of significance to us, piece by piece. You know, we might be teaching on a particular subject, and all of a sudden, certain numbers begin to show up within it. Um, and then later down the road, we do a different class or workshop, and within it would be certain numbers that would show up. And it was like, wait, this can't be, you know, this can't be just a coincidence. And um, I know Sandy started doing some research on it, and she was just amazed, and so was I, at, you know, how significant it really is. It's like if you, you could almost take out the words and replace it with the numbers and vice versa because they work together. And, you know, if that doesn't tell you that, that you know, our sacred text, doesn't matter which, which book it is, Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet from Virginia, even said when asked by someone, what should I study or read, you know, that would make me more spiritual? And he said, well, he said, it's not really about just reading it. He said, but, he said, you know, Charles Dickens is always a good one to pick, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And he said, what I'm trying to tell you is, is that it doesn't matter which one you read or which one you study. He says, the idea is implement or apply what it is you're reading. And Charles Dickens was known, you know, to be a writer that if you read between the lines, you know, you'll get a lot of spiritual information. But it's, it's really so interesting that, you know, he would say it that way. But he said, apply it. If you don't apply it, don't take the time to, to read it or go to a class or to spend your money to, you know, to go to a class or to study something because you have to apply it. If you don't apply it, then it can do you more harm than good. And that's with anything. But if you apply, what you gain is knowledge. It becomes wisdom. You apply the wisdom, it becomes, um, what's the third aspect? Um, is knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So if you apply the wisdom, you gain the understanding. And when you have the understanding, you know that all of the different levels you know, of any, any ancient script. Um, but, you know, I used to do, you know, little tests just for myself. And I know Sandy would think, you know, what in the world is he doing? You know, and I'd be looking at a wall. I mean, real close, real close to a wall that had been painted. And you could see on one section of the wall that the crew that showed up was absolutely drunk off their tail ends. And the, the paint looked okay but when you looked closer it was it was really kind of a mess there was no structure to it you know i mean it was just you know there were some lines in it and but but it, it lacked something and my guess is is that it would peel away much much faster than the other side of the building because the first crew had been fired and they hired a second crew and that crew was very much integrity you know what they quoted, what they charged. I mean, you know, they were never on the take and, you know, and they certainly weren't drinking. And when I looked at the, at the paint on that side, oh, it was much different. It had symbols in it, it had pictographs in it. It, it had all kinds of different things in the paint itself. And I think that's with anything. You could take and look at a book if the author that wrote any book is, you know, it, 
has been drinking a lot or, you know, or just has, they're angry, let's just say. I'm not going to make any other judgments. They're angry when they write. Well, it's really in the book. It actually places itself into the words. You might not know it. You probably won't recognize it. But if someone is in the right state of mind when they write the book and they have integrity and they're trying to share with you something that they found important, well, then you will find that book much different. And the wording in the book and the way it's written, um, it, it has a code about it. And that if you take the time to read it, especially in pieces, you don't have to read a whole chapter, a whole book, even especially with the Bible. You read just a small part. Because a lot of people say, well, I can't understand sometimes some of the things that are in it. Don't worry about it. Just read the piece and lay the book aside and ponder it. When Mary was standing on the steps of the temple on the morning that Gabriel, the Archangel Gabriel, announced to her that she was the chosen one and that she would bear the divine masculine. And it says that Mary pondered the words that the Archangel Gabriel had said to her. Now, I don't know, you know, when I think about it, you know, if Gabriel were to stand right beside me right now and tell me the same thing, well, not that I was going to bear the divine masculine, but that, you know, something of such great importance, I mean, wow, I mean, it would just, it would just blow my mind. And yet she pondered it. And it's been said by Casey and others, that pondering is very important, especially when it comes to sacred text, because Jesus taught mostly in parables or stories, and there were some that could never understand it. I don't understand what he's trying to say, or other groups, you know. It doesn't make sense to me what, what he's teaching, but they were simple stories if you looked at the story. But if you looked at the deeper meaning of applying it on the first level, you got wisdom, and the wisdom began to open up like seeds, because that is what he spoke about when he, when he preached. He even said to his disciples that, he said, what I give you is not a tree that's full of fruit. He says, I'm giving you the seeds, and I'm, we're spreading the seeds, and the seeds then will be opened by those who come across them, and they set up camp there and decide to stay there, those seeds will begin to sprout. And they will bring forth fruit, and they will feed the people. And it's the same thing. It's that the words and the numbers and the other ways and, and, and means within the text will give you what it is that you're looking for or you need at the time you need it. And it will always be timely. Somebody said to me the other day, well, you know, it was written, you know, a couple thousand years ago or even earlier than that for the Old Testament or the, the Torah. And they said, so, you know, but, you know, I was reading through it, and it's interesting because some of the things I found that, you know, maybe I could use in my life. And I said, you could use it all because it really wasn't written for that time and day. I mean, there was so much chaos and confusion on the planet most of the time. You know, I mean, we think that it's here today, but 
you know, at the beginning, so at the end. So as we make that full circle, we will go back through that again, but we will find that the answers to it are in the sacred text. And that is something that we should all, you know, take the time to look at. If you've ever wanted to know more about numbers, one of the things Casey said was, if you look at your birth date today, if that's your birth date, chances are the day that you passed away in your last lifetime was the day before today. So if today is, what, the 17th, 17th? Nine seventeen. Yeah. Probably in your last lifetime, you died on September sixteenth. <laughs> and in this lifetime, if you had anything in that lifetime that you didn't finish, that you didn't take care of, and you considered it unfinished business, you will reincarnate back the day after, because everything's a cycle. And so, where you end is where you begin. You have to, otherwise. One day may may have made the difference. And I thought that was the most interesting, you know, thing that I ever heard him say. Um, And he proved it by going to, I think, a couple of different um, graveyards and found the names that he was told in readings that had been him. And sure enough, you know, it proved itself out that there was a person named that and they had the same the day before his his current birthday from the last lifetime. So it, it revolves, and it continues to revolve, you know, if we don't clear it. Clear it is the easiest thing to do. But even today, some people will go six or seven lifetimes and not clear some. Mm, I'll do it next lifetime. This lifetime is just too much. I think I'll do it next lifetime. And then they put it off again. They put it off again. They put it off again. And pretty soon it builds up. To the point where, whoa, you know, I don't know if I can get through all of it in one lifetime. And for some, it may be very, very difficult. But there are teachers and there are people that are willing to help, willing to help you lift you up, you know, as well as you lift them up. Because it works both ways. You can't lift someone up and them not lift you up at the same time. And they're out there. They're out there now. And getting the information, the help, to be able to be lifted up and to see the areas that you need to finish. I mean, you know, sometimes it's an issue in the family. And if you don't fix it, help them fix it. It could be between a mother and, a, and her daughter. Or it could be between, you know, two other family members or, or however many of them. And if you don't help fix it, you may well have to come back another lifetime with the same two people, with the same issue, <laughs> and have to go through it all over again. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I grew up in a family that, you know, I wouldn't say that they were the most loving family in the world, but they cared, but they were really more about whatever, you know, whatever they were focused on that day. And not too much about anybody else. And, you know, I can remember my mother telling me, you know, I want you to be a preacher. That's always been my my desire for you. She said, but, she goes, one thing I want to say is, I really don't want you preaching to me. 
<laughs> you know, because she knew me well enough that I was already, as a kid, you know, preaching. And, and that was just the one thing she just didn't want. But, you know, if you know more about the numbers that are contained in the, in the ancient text, and especially the Bible, um, you know, you can keep a healthy distance from Bible codes, um, the Kabbalah, you know, names that add up to 666. You know, those are okay, but in reality, there's a whole lot more to them than what you'll ever get by looking at a president's name or somebody's name and going, ah, oh, look, if he has his first name six and his middle initial name is six, last name is six, it's, that's, that ain't it. And so those aren't necessarily helpful at, at this time. If you gain the wisdom of numbers along with the words that are contained in the text, then, then you'll be given the information to the other areas. Um, but that is certainly not the place I would start. Um, the text of Scripture contains a significant quantity of words that designate numbers. The Old Testament alone contains 7,000 such words. Appropriately, the book of Numbers contains the most, while the New Testament contains over 1,200 and God has chosen to inspire each and every one of them. And when you start to put them together, you realize, you know, I could never have done that. And chances are we have some pretty fast computers, but they wouldn't have put them together the same way because they're put together in a spiritual way. And if they're put together by anything or anyone or even a machine that has no emotion and deals only with with, you know, right brain issues or left brain issues, I'm sorry, you know, then it's not going to give you the same correlation. And that's how you know that it's God. It has to be God. It has to be a greater intelligence than we could have ever understood. And look at how long ago they were written. But they were written for today, for this day and age, not for them. It was said by Jesus that I tell you this, that this generation shall not pass until these things have happened. And he was telling us that when we come back, and we will, and we are, that, that everything that he was giving was giving so that we would have everything we needed when we got to this point in our evolutionary spiritual process. The numbers contained in Scripture are relevant to our interpretation of that scripture, and by extension to our spiritual lives. Suffice it to say, and I, and I incline toward and hope to persuade you to take the time to look for yourself. And God will make it clear. Trust me. And once you start seeing them, you start putting them together, it's like, oh, my goodness, you can't get enough of it. I mean, you start looking for them everywhere, and you start looking for them on your, you know, your clocks or your, you know, everywhere. There's numbers that pop up, and it's, it's an odd situation when those numbers pop up. It's not like they, they're just there every day. I mean, and they pop up, and I have people ask me that all the time. I, this, this one set of numbers keeps popping up for me. Can you, why is that, you know? And it's, it's interesting because it gives me a chance then to be able to speak to them about how they can 
be aware of the numbers and utilize them. I mean, and with Sandy and I, I mean, we always look at the numbers and, and there's no doubt that what those numbers are, we know if it's a weekend that we're doing a um, speaking engagement, that there's going to be specific things that occur because of the number of the room at the motel that we stayed in. And trust me, we've even stayed in motel rooms where it had a doorbell. <laughs> I mean, no other room had one. You remember that, Sandy? I do. I mean, it had a, it actually had a doorbell. And I thought, who's, who's going to come knocking or rock or, you know, ringing? And she had no, no idea either, but it was like, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't, I, that one I can't understand. You know, the number I could, and I realized the significance of the number, but the doorbell, <laughs> I, I still can't figure that one out. How exactly are we supposed to find out what a given number signifies? In a word context, the Bible is an original text. It doesn't pre present us with isolated lists of numbers and leave us to unravel the mysteries. Rather, it presents us with numbers in the context of narratives, poetry, legal texts, and a host of other genres, and which is how God wants us to analyze numbers, without a doubt. Below, therefore, I'll seek to do just that. As a case study, I'll consider how the numbers function in the book of Judges, just a couple of them. Afterwards, I'll seek to distill a little principles from the discussion, but I'm only going to do a couple today. Um, but in the book of Judges, over 250 of the words in the book of Judges designate numbers, some of which crop up way too frequently and in circumstances way too similar for it, is to be a, for it to be a coincidence. For instance, both Gideon and Samson are accompanied by exactly 300 torchbearers. Hmm. Samson's happen to be foxes. And you'll find that in Judges 7, 23 and 15, 4. Three different groups exactly. 600 men are mentioned. We have 600 slain Philistines in Judges 3, 31. 600 warlike um, Danites in Judges 18:11, and 600 defeated Benjamites in Judges 20:47. Six different sums of exactly 1,100 shekels of silver are also, without a doubt, mentioned. And let's not forget, you know, Joseph was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and so was Jesus, you know, by Judas, 30, 30 pieces of silver, and. Let's not think that those are coins. They weren't a silver coin. When it says, you know, silver, it's talking about, you know, I mean, lots of silver. I mean, we're talking about bars of silver. And, you know, it'll typically say in the New Testament that it was 20 that was paid for Jesus. But I know that they changed that so that no one would catch that Judah and Judas, Judas selling Joseph into slavery for 30 pieces of silver, you know, and Judas, you know, received 30 pieces of silver for selling out Jesus. You know, they wanted to change it a little bit because nobody would notice that, you know, hey, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. But, but, um, it's there. One tribe short of 12. When we consider the numbers in the book of Judges as a whole, we first notice the book's pre- predilection 
for the number 11 and multiples thereof. I can't tell you the number of times 1111, you know, is on the, the digital clock. I mean, in a month's time, I mean, anywhere from probably 10 to 20 times at any one given time, you will see 1111, which, and that's been going on for many, many years. Um, and so you have a distinct occurrence of 11-fold numbers. Joshua lives for 110 years, 11 times 10. Gideon's first army consists of 11 men, Gideon and his 10 servants. Gideon later dismisses 22,000 men, 11 times 2,000, from, his, from a much bigger army. Gideon brutalizes 77 elders, 11 times 7 is what you get out of that. Jared judges is or Jared judges Israel for 22 years, 11 times 2. Samson is outfoxed on what appears to be the 11th day of his challenge to the Philistines. Delilah is bribed with five lots of 1,100 pieces of silver, 11 times 100. Micah's Levite puts 1,100 pieces of silver to a bad use. Micah is visited by 605 day-nights, day 11 times 11 times 5. And you'll find 5 a lot. 5 is the number of manifestations, so you'll see it a lot. But the funny thing there is also um, when you have, you know, when you have things like, you know, somebody's paid off by, with silver, and that's a lot of silver. Like I said, it's not a coin. It's, it's pieces of silver that, that have been described as weighing, you know, a lot, each piece. So you have 605 Danaanites, 11 times 11 times 5. Now, 6 and 5, 6 is typically, typically the male number, 5 the feminine number. So you put 6 and 5 together, you have 11. And that's why there's so much contention sometimes between men and women, because you have two opposing numbers that end up being 11. And some have called 11 the Judas number. <laughs> so we're here to fix it, if nothing else. Micah, you know, 11 tribes gather at Shiloh in the book's gruesome climax. A body part is sent out to summon each of the 12 tribes, but only 11 respond. 22,000 Israelites, 11 times 2,000, are slain in Israel's first battle against Benjamin. And why might the number 11 be significant in the context of judges? Well, something seems deeply, you know, without a doubt, inappropriate about the association of Israel with the number 11. The proper number of Israel is not 11, but 12 just as the proper number of the apostles is not 11 but 12, which is part of the reason why Peter proposes that another apostle replace Judas. As such, the number employed in the book of Judges are not intended to reflect a situation where life in Israel is not as it should be. Something is deeply, fundamentally wrong. Of course, this claim does not require enough numerical analysis to discern, but our author's preference for the number 11 tells us other things as well. Suppose, per our suggestion, Israel is indeed a tribe short. Which tribe is it short? As we read through the text, the answer soon becomes apparent. The book of Judges consists of three sections of a prologue. 
the main body, where the judgeships of 12 distinct judges are set out. And an epilogue in the main body of the book. We are informed about the exploits of each of Israel's tribes, with one exception, the tribe of Levi. Not a single Levite is mentioned, even incidentally. Therefore, one thing wrong with Israel is clear, the absence or silence of the, of the Levites. Gee, that would be the 11th one, right? That yeah. didn't, didn't show up. The book's epilogue brings the fact out very clearly. Three important changes that take place in the narrative. First, the text rewinds to the days of Moses and Aaron's grandsons. Second, for the first time in the book, some Levites are mentioned. And third, a previously unknown refrain is taken up by our author. Namely, there was no king in Israel, is, as it says. What are these changes meant to tell us? My suggestion is as follows. In terms of Israel's time in Canaan, things began to go wrong from the very outset. In the absence of a king, God's commands should have been upheld by the Levites. But the Levites spectacularly failed in their duties. Rather than lead the Israelites in the ways of God, they led the Israelites into the gross acts of adultery, you know, human sacrifice, violence, um, and the, the later narrative is particularly, particularly grievous example of the Levite's failure, which we can consider in some detail. Um, chapter 19, a certain Levite and his concubine set out from Bethlehem for their home in Ephraim. As the narrative progresses, the cardinal numbers involved in it slowly decrease, which gives the narrative an ominous feel. We read of a four-month stay in Bethlehem, a three-day stay at the concubine's house. Two men who eat and drink together go to the exclusion of the concubine, and finally, a choice between one of the two cities in which to spend the night, Gebeah or Ramah, with the choices. The same downward spiral sequence of numbers occurs in chapter 9. First, um, there's the vision in, um, in the men in four companies. Then as they approach Shechem, he divides them into three companies. Next, with two of these companies, he launches an attack on Shechem. And finally, he is mercifully, I don't know what mercifully means, but slain by one woman. Hmm, that's interesting. Just like chapter 9. Chapter 1, 9, 2 will end in his death. So anytime you put a nine and ones together, you know, it usually doesn't bring about a good circumstance. I think we had a 9-11 situation in here, in this country, didn't we, at one time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of things like, yeah. So, you know, but in these acts, there is usually or typically a cowardice or a betrayal. Um, you know, and if you look at the numbers, don't let them stay the way they are, you know. If you have two 11s, you end up with a 22. It, be, it starts to become more sacred at 22. But nonetheless, you know, if you see 11s, know that it might be worth taking just a little bit of time out of your day and get down on your knees and say a prayer, you know, to be shown what it is that might need to be fixed or what might need to be 
called upon from God to come through you and ground into the earth so that some something, whatever it is that is lacking, that one little piece. And how much of a difference does it make? Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, you know, that that 11, missing the, just that one is is powerful. And it will it will be used when it can be by the powers of the not so shiny light. Oh, um, yeah. Well, there's a I have a good bit to share too, Jim. Okay, go for it. Okay, so from the ancient of times, numbers have been of interest. Uh, they've been used in circumstances for ritual or worship, and believed that certain numbers had certain powers to them. Even nature had combinations of numbers to many things like the Fibonacci sequence, the golden mean spiral, and the binary system. So music and the scale has many tones and is composed of tone values of half pitches and half tones, and even color combinations have certain tones and variations of tone and color that can change just as they do in music. So even the periodic chart of elements has numbers that are combined to it. So we can see why the ancients and mystics found much interest in numerology or numbers. The Talmudic the or the Talmud, which is a combination of ancient Persian or Chaldean, Egyptian, Indian, and Indochina, are where much of the understanding and practice of using numerology has been found and understood to have been used to affect individuals' lives. Now. Each of these numbers that I'm going to go through, I'm going to give you a little bit of information on each one and applicableness. So the number one is considered to be the beginning, where all things originate. And if all be one, such as one God, one Son, one Spirit, the essence of all is the force and the energy, then everything emanates from the one. How about here, O Israel? The Lord our God, the Lord is one in Deuteronomy 6.4. One symbolizing strength and leadership and power and influence. So if for any reason, when you take your birthday and you add it up, you break it down to a single number. If it's a 14, you take one and four to get five. Okay, But if you have something that ends up with the number one, then some of the meanings behind the number one could be very applicable in your life. Now, the number two is a division of the whole or one, giving us opposites, polarity, strength, and weakness. So and what you're saying, Sandy, is that one is the only number that does not contain um, any division. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, the number two has been used as the disciples were paired and sent out two by two to spread the word of God. And there were two cherubims guarding each side of the Ark of the Covenant, and two also represents wisdom, yielding, receptivity, forgiveness, and stableness. That's the two sides of the brain? Mm -hmm. If I could add one thing, mm -hmm. just real quick. Edgar Casey talked about the two angels, very high-level angels, but they were discussing a subject, and each had different opinions on what that subject meant. And neither would, would yield to the other. And 
Casey was asked, which angel was right? Casey, Casey said both of them were right. One was a spiritual angel that did their work in the upper realms of spirit. The other one was an earth angel and did their work in the realms of the, of the planet. And so when you apply certain things, you know, even if they're spiritual things, in the earth plane and on the earth plane, for the earth plane, it will have or could have a, you know, a different meaning and still be right, even though the spiritual angel, you know, utilizing the information for spiritual purposes was right also. Mm-hmm. That's true. Now, the number three is a combination of one and two, representing strength, giving it the ability of two against one or one against two. This is a representative of the divine holy trinity, the Godhead. The trinity gives it greater strength as a whole. The three can relate to a triangle, and equilateral triangles have religious symbolism. Pythagoras associated it with three parts or symbols such as past, present, and future, or spirit, mind, and body. So a lot of sacred things are done in a trinity because it gives it greater power. Many significant events in the Bible happened on the third day. Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of the fish. So the Trinity being very strong, very powerful. Plus, isn't it also that Jesus said, where two or more gathered in my name, there I am also. And so you have a fullness of, of God, you know, putting both other ends together. It, it connects them. And you have the fullness of, of the Godhead, you know, available to us here on earth. Right. Now, the number four is a division containing beauty and strength and greater weakness, such as in music, color, metals, and numbers. The four relates to the earth and its elements, the seasons, the directions, north, south, east, west, and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth, Isaiah eleven twelve. The number four is related to a square or a cross and is usually related to material things. So the number four can also represent structure, law and order, stability, rigidness, and goal-oriented. Now, you remember the angel that came to us, it was the nature angel, when we were planting our, our flower beds and stuff, and told us, if you wish to ground that piece of land that you're putting your you know, above-ground boxes on, they said, do a square, because the square is grounding, it's four corners. If you want it to be you know, more spirit in the earth, then do three and three um, as a six-pointed star. But the shape of the beds, the flower beds or whatever you're planting, you know, they should be in the shape of sacred numbers. And you will find that the growth of what's, whatever's in it will match whatever the numbers are. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the number five, it represents change. It can also represent creativity, money, liveliness, adventuresomeness, quick thinking, and fun-loving and grace. So Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread to feed 5,000 in Matthew 14, 17. 
The number five is a symbol of protection and warning. Pythagoras related it to the five-pointed star and the five elements of fire, water, air, earth, and spirit. And wait, what's your number? I'm sorry. Mm, yeah, uh, my number's a five. Yes, yes, it is, which means that you have to experience everything personally. You can't watch somebody else do it and go, oh, I get it. You have to actually walk it yourself, <laughs> it's true. which means I get drug along. <laughs> you know. This is true. This is true. Now, the, the number six, it represents beauty and the symmetrical forces of all numbers, giving it strength. Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day in Genesis 1.31. And the six in sacred geometry is a symbol of the hexagram, the six-pointed star, and symbolizes a perfect state of balance when one is in meditation. You know, it's two overlapping three-sided triangles, one pointing upward and one downward, meaning the combination of heaven with earth and a connection of God with humanity. The six represents unity, strength, and balance. It's a very important number. As a matter of fact, the six-pointed star contains the original alphabet, Hebrew alphabet. If you pull it apart in the way it's, it's designed, you'll find that, that those symbols are in there. Absolutely, and you'll see it also in the Shield of David. Yep. Yeah. Now, the number seven signifies spiritual forces in either nature or mankind. This number is recognized as a God number, a divine perfection and completeness. I'm sorry, which number was that? The number seven, which oh. is your number. <laughs> so, on the seventh day, God rested after completing the creation, Genesis 2-2. Now, seven demons went out from Mary Magdalene, symbolizing total deliverances in Luke 8.2. Seven is a combination of three and four, three being spirituality and four, physicality, which can represent universal balance. And the orientation of a seven-pointed star is important. Three points over three symbolizes, over four rather, symbolizes spirit ruling matter. But four points over three symbolizes physicality, ruling spirit. So the seven has been recognized as spirit unseen, religion, strength, psychic abilities, and magical. I don't. I can't answer to that. You know, <laughs> except to say this: that if my number is seven, yours is five. Add them together, you get a twelve. Yep, and there's so your wholeness. We got that. Yep, got just up over that. That number 11. Yep. Now, the number 8 is a combination of strength and weakness, new beginnings, and is a money number, and commercial changes. Eight people survived the Great Flood, Genesis 7.13. The number 8 also represents transformation, worldliness, hardworking, goal-setters, and family-oriented. Now, the number 9 is the completeness of numbers, the ending of a cycle to a greater good. Achievers, high ideals, broad vision, problem solvers, fullness of blessings, and the change. There are nine fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. The number nine relates to three 
overlapping triangles, which represents a trinity of trinities, symbolizing holiness and spiritual completion. It's really interesting. I've always been fascinated by the number nine, simply because no matter what you add together in numbers, if you add nine into the mix, it still comes out to be the same number, whether or not nine is there or it isn't there. I mean, if you add, you know, five and five is 10 and nine, you get 19, right? Absolutely. But to, but to bring it back to a single number, nine plus one is 10. Mm-hmm. And so it's so interesting to me that it's, you know, it's kind of a hidden number. It's, it's Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, the number 10 is representing all levels of earthly and spiritual. It also relates to governments and law. The Ten Commandments were the tablets of the law, Exodus 20, 21, Deuteronomy 5, 6. The Ten Tribes made up the Northern Kingdom. The number 10 in the Kabbalistic system has a 10-pointed star or decagram and can represent the 10 sephiroth of the Tree of Life. Now, the number 11 is holding both beauty and weakness, and it can represent a spiritual messenger, intuition, practicalness, justice, and can manifest thoughts easily. And Jim, you went over a lot of the number 11 already. So, but you could, you, could, you could write volumes on it. You could, you could. Now, the number 12 is representing a finished product, as is given in all forces of nature, and also represents faithfulness, optimistic, creative, to be open on all physical, spiritual, and cosmic levels. The number 12 relates to divine government, God's authority, perfection, and completeness. The New Jerusalem had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the meaning of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles apostles of the Lamb, Revelations 21.12. It also represents the 12 months of the year, a yearly cycle, and its completeness of wholeness. The 12-sided figure represents the zodiac, which is divided into 12 signs. Now, the number 13 represents Christ consciousness or all the consciousness on the planet. Also, change and opportunity present themselves. And let's not forget, it is the number of steps up the pyramid to the all-seeing eye. Exactly. The number 22 is a master number, which can represent to build or destroy. It is the infinite or infinity number. The number 23 is for alchemy, a body balanced physically and spiritually, for it's perfect in its ratios to the one. The number 30 is associated with mourning and sorrow. Moses' death was mourned for 30 days, Deuteronomy 38, 34, 8. Aaron's death was mourned for 30 days, Numbers 20, 24. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, like you had mentioned. The number 40 is associated with testing and trials. Before you even go there, let me say one thing. There was a a lady that we had met, 
You know, she was 91 at the time, and that's probably been seven or eight years ago. But she wrote a book, The Conspiracy of the 30s. And she goes into, I mean, it's, it's a massive book, and it's only in hardback. And, I mean, she goes into how 30 shows up in every, everything that has been, basically, that was deceitful, that is corruptive. Yeah. You know, in 30 shows up in it. And, I mean, she had two PhDs, and they wouldn't give her her third PhD because they felt that it was a little too controversial. <laughs> right. Now, the number 40 is associated with testing and trials. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and during the flood it rained for 40 days. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, and Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days before being tempted. The number 50 holds significance in feasts, celebrations, and ceremonies. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you. Leviticus 25.10 50 days after Jesus Christ's resurrection, the Holy Spirit filled believers on the day of Pentecost. And the number 70 is connected to judgment and delegation. 70 elders were appointed by Moses, and Israel spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. Now, when you look at triplets of numbers. They hold even more power and significance. So a 111 can represent energy flowing. A 222 is a new cycle or beginning. A 333 is a decision is pending. The 444 is the number of initiations. 555 is mastery and unity. 666 is a warning. 777 is practicing. 888 is understanding, and 999 is completion, where the 1111 is a doorway to other realities. So when you're driving along in a car and you see these numbers and they come in triplicates, it's like you look at this and you understand, hmm, this is what it's kind of representing, and does that apply in my life, and do I need to take, you know, observation that this could cause some kind of influence on me? And the answer is probably going to be yes. Now, another thing... It, it usually is with you. I mean, if you see a certain number that, you know, is not the most pleasant of numbers, you'll look at me first. <laughs> you know, you, know right. you don't have anything planned today that we aren't supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, right. Now, the 144,000 by Melchizedek Lewis says that that, that 100 equals cuff, which means the back of the head. The medulla obligata in the back of the head is the source of material or physical awareness. Then 40 equals mem, which means water or spirit. And four, the left, indicating the crossing of the threshold. And 1,000, relief, association or advancement. The mastery of the 144,000 is the scriptural phrase should read as follows. Those who succeed in advancing their consciousness from the state of material awareness, the back of the head, to the state of spiritual awareness, the forehead, the location of the third eye, called the ayana chakra, they are the ones who shall redeem themselves or gain the freedom of their divine 
higher nature. Interesting. So how do numbers truly affect people? Anyone who has given time and patience and thought to mathematical problems sees and experiences every phase as a mathematical ratio. Each person vibrates to certain numbers according to your name, your birthday, your relationships to various activities. And when these numbers appear, they become either strengths or losses for your advancement or for change. Or they can be as a spiritual force for you. They're signs or warnings to help guide you on your path. And it is through our birthday that a specific vibration is assigned to every day of the year. Your personal vibration is part of your signature sound. That particular frequency or number will influence you intuitively to want to draw certain things into your life so that you can experience them. Then you will learn and grow because of them. And you will be attracted to certain people because they also resonate at a frequency or a number that supports you on your path. And, you know, I see nothing wrong with someone who is gaining in spiritual you know, awareness and, and raising their consciousness. I see nothing wrong with them changing, you know, even just their first name. If they feel like they have completed whatever that name was to be able to bring to them that they needed to be able to finish in this lifetime and change their name, and it'll bring a whole new set of... Oh, yeah, absolutely. So each person comes here with an area of growth and experiences that need to be lived. So specific numbers and frequencies can either help or hinder you. And when you're aware of the meanings of the numbers, it will help speed up the process of change or advancement. And where there are warning numbers shown to you, there you can identify areas in your life that you can avoid taking on this lesson and move around it rather than being hurt by it. Or if there is a great opportunity about to happen for you, you can be prepared and ready for it rather than missing the opportunity. You know, a lot of people I talk to see no value in learning anything more than what, you know, they learned as a kid and were told that was in the Bible, you know, on its literal level. And, and honestly, it's putting these together. I right. mean, if you don't put them together, you will always miss a piece of information, wisdom, understanding that is there. Right. You know. Now. When you look at a donut-shaped figure, it's going to be called a tube torus, okay? And when you have one on top of the other, it creates a rotating motion, and it forms a figure eight, two polar opposites or tor toroids. And this is how and why you attract what you resist and reap what you sow in life. What goes around comes around. By simply applying this knowledge and decrypted mathematics in your life, using its lawful power, you're reinforcing this cosmic balance within you. You are destined to miraculously fulfilling your unique calling. And when you violate this perfect resonance pattern, you get what you resist or fear. So consider, if you resist poverty, what happens? You attract more of it due to the negative energy you put out fretting. The negativity feeds the matrix with dissonance, and you get back what you put out. So hold the higher energies by focusing on the word of trust and faith in God, and all numerically, the number eight. And know that right now, 
the angels, and there are millions of them around this planet, they are waiting for you to ask to be lifted up. That's all. And yet, so many people go through life and they don't even think to ask. Well, it'll happen when it happens. No, there's no coercion in spirituality. So if that's what you want, ask for it. Ask for it every day and live it. You know, help somebody that you don't even know every day of your life, even just a little bit. And and they're waiting for you to ask. And they will lift you up. It's much more peaceful. Who wants to continue in the chaos? Absolutely. And we want to thank everybody who is listening to our show. And we invite you to join us again in two weeks. And remember, 304-567-3354. Call us if you have any questions or you'd like to do a reading of your own. God bless. God bless.